Genesis 18, get there, please. And as we go through the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter number 18. Now, I did not do too much exposition on the last four or five verses of chapter number 17, but I do want to call your attention to this. The Muslims have not always been, or the Arab people have not always been Muslim. Y'all with me? You see, when Ishmael brought his bunch out, the Bible said that everybody that was under Abraham's house, all of his servants, all of his servant servants, all of his cattle workers, all of the people that was in, in, under his house. We know he had at least 400 men, so we don't know how many other women and children. Every one of the men were circumcised, so that means that that man, Ishmael, believed on Jesus. So they didn't start out to be a uh, people-hating um, terrorist group like they are all over the world today. They started out with Abraham here. Now, God didn't want them to go with Abraham in the first place, but Abraham with the tender little heart that we have, well, I don't see anything wrong with you. They probably won't cause us no problem. Well, go ahead, sissy, and you'll find out they will. People tell me, you won't not do that. It'll cause trouble. So what? Folks, listen, we got in this thing to be in trouble. Jesus got in the fire for us. Why don't we get in there with him? Well, y'all ain't going to get there, so I'll just go on. Right? But I want you to notice that Ishmael, and all, he was 13 years old. He was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And uh, Abraham, uh, the same day was Abraham circumcised, and Ishmael's son, and all the men of his house, born in his house, bought with the money of the stranger, were circumcised with him. Not only was he circumcised, every person who wasn't from their tribe, who was bought as a servant, became a believer in Almighty God. Y'all with me? Jehovah God, not none of the, none of the pagans that they was worshiping. So tonight, we're going to move right on over to chapter number 18, and things is fixing to take a curve on us. We're going to start to read some storylines into what God has been weaving into this, this picture for us, letting us see this fuss and this fight between Hagar and Abraham uh, and uh, uh, Sarah and Abraham and then with Hagar coming along and then Ishmael coming along and, and her being jealous. And he let us in on all that little deal, but we don't hear anything for 13 years. And God don't talk anymore. So now God talks again. When he talks, look what the Bible said. The Lord appeared to him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent of the heat of the day. Sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Now, there's only one man and just one man in the Bible that's called a friend of God. And that man is referred to as a friend of God three times, and his name is Abraham. Abraham. Second Chronicles 20, verse 7. Isaiah chapter 41, verse number 8. And James chapter 2, verse number 23. Those three places refer to Abraham as a friend of God. Now, the Bible tells us God is our friend. 
But this one says Abraham is a friend of God. And that's a pretty good compliment when you're called friend of God, especially after you and your wife had done had a big fight. Amen? That gives hope for all of you. Come on, help me, doesn't it? It gives hope when you know you, you got to go home and have a fight about something. When you, when you open that bill, you hadn't no opened the mail yet, and you go home and you open the mail, and there, belt card, $4,000. What are you doing, woman? And then she screams at you, and yeah, but she went out and bought that bass boat. Next thing you know, he's sleeping on the couch. You're in the bed. Both of you's mad. You know what I'm talking about. And yet there's hope for all of us. So that's exactly the kind of fight that Sarah and Abraham had. But now, this sheik, that's what really Abraham was. He was a sheik of that day. And here we find him sitting there, and there was an appearance of the Lord. God just appears. So that's the first thing I want you to know is, is instinctive consecration. It's in verses 1 through 9, 1 through 8. Here we find an appearance of the Lord. He doesn't announce. He comes unannounced. He comes unheralded. He comes unpublicized. He didn't send forth any mail outs. He didn't send forth any letters. He didn't have any kind of devotions about him before he got there. He didn't have anybody having adoration about him when he got there. He just shows up. He stayed. How could this happen? Well, because this stranger from heaven knew him personally, his friend of God. You see, God could show up at your place and in your house and in your heart a whole lot more if you were the better friend of God. Help me. That's what, that's what God teaches us here. He showed up because he could talk to Abraham because he could talk to Abraham because Abraham's a friend of God. Now, look, look at what he goes on to say. There's three, these three men must have looked like only men because the Bible tells us three men. So what he saw, Jesus Christ, two angels, looked like three men. They wasn't coming in white with wings flapping like that. Jesus didn't have some glow about him. He appeared that particular time. He appears as three men. Are y'all with me? So these three men look like any other friend of God, and a friend of God knows God anywhere. Here's how do you know that? Because you remember at the resurrection, and Simon Peter said, I tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going fishing. And some of them said, we'll go with you. We've been fishing all our life. Nothing's happening. Everything's, fall, everything's turning out totally different than what we thought it was. So we're going to go fishing too. And yet the Bible said when they was out there, fished all night, caught nothing. Look, standing over there on the shore, there was somebody. Oh, that's a ghost. No one the ghost. Simon Peter said, who is that? You know what John said? John said, it's the Lord. I know him. I know him. It's a friend of God. And so if, you're, if you know him like you ought to know him, you might see him like you ought to see him. And that's what he said. Now look, in his haste, in verse 2, he ran. Now running was something sheiks didn't do. 
Sheiks had people run for them. They were called runners. That was their name. But they didn't run. That was uh, uh, disrespectful for a sheik to run. And so they didn't run. And so notice that he ran. You see, that's why I know that he knew something about who he was running after. Verse number six says, he hastened. Verse number seven says, he ran. Here's a hundred-year-old man, folks. Listen to me. A hundred-year-old man running, and not just running, but hurrying running, fast running. And I've always told you, I ain't running unless somebody's chasing me. I never didn't make no sense to me just to run to be running. But a lot of folks enjoy it, and I'm glad they do. And I'll pray for them as they run, but I'll just watch them. But this guy, he knew that he wasn't running just an everyday run. He was running toward Jesus. Oh, that changed everything. Changed everything. You know, some people never run to Jesus. In fact, some people never even run for Jesus. We, we, we don't get in a hurry to worship him, do we? Uh-huh. We don't get in a hurry to go to work for him, but we don't miss work in the morning. We get in a hurry to get to work, especially if you live in Nashville when you have to leave at 3 o'clock in the morning just to get there by 8. You know what I'm talking about? So some of us don't get in a hurry. Don't you notice what Luke 2.16 said? And they came with haste. Oh. How did they come? They came with haste. And that's the Christmas story, folks. It's a fast one. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. What? What? Best shall be made where Jesus is. I mean, it's going, to be, it's going to be the best run you've ever had running to Jesus. It's, it's going to be the best uh, uh, urgency you've ever had when you run to Jesus. I'm going to tell you when you get under conviction of God like I got under conviction of God, I'm going to tell you you can run when you don't have legs to run. You can run when you got off arthritis that's broke, stove you up, and every joint you've got, but you can run when you get to Jesus. That's what he did. He run in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all with me? Now, I want you to look. Look at the heat. In the heat, verse number one. Uh, I'd love, I'd love for y'all to have one service, just one service down there where they were at. This church couldn't stand it. They die. Oh, oh God, I can't stand this. They die. We go to Israel. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, it might not really even be hot. It may be in September, October. And, oh, die. It's so hot. Well, it's, you know, the humidity is very low. And, and I, I enjoy heat anyway, not as much as I used to since I, I had to take medicine. But I'll tell you, it's a... Uh, it's a blessed place when it's come out heat coming down and it feels real good. So they liked the heat, but they knew it was not safe for them to work in the heat. So every day they siestaed. Y'all got me? They'd take 
as much as three hours sometimes off, yet they might work 12 hours a day, but they may take three hours off, Brother Page right there, and take them a siesta. So here they are sitting in a tent, 100 years old, no air conditioning, no box fans, no funeral home fans, nothing. In the heat of the day, they're sitting there. High noon is what we would call that. You know, high noon. Men were not supposed to be out in the burning noonday sun. Here they are, three men walking in the hot, burning noonday sun. And down where they were was down in the southern end of Israel near the desert where it gets as hot as 116, 15 degrees. I mean, it, I mean, it really gets hot. So they, they, they're not normally walking during that period of time. And so he, he said it was the, uh, at that time, if you owned a shop, for instance, you'd shut it down for three hours. You just closed down till you got back. It's like on Shabbat today, they close every store and uh, close all the elevators but one. Uh, so you have and, you have, and every elevator has to stop at one floor. Boom, 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 boom. And, um, but after Shabbat's over, boy, they have them a time. And so here, in this heat, the friend of God, here's what I'm trying to teach you. I don't, don't, think, I don't think I'm getting far. But listen. The friend of God does not need an interruption of his comfortable life for his Lord. He don't mind it. He don't mind it. He don't mind his friend, the Lord, interrupting his life. And here he is in the heat of the day, a day when there's no reason he should be out in the hot sun at 100, 100 years old. And yet three men coming and to do what he's supposed to do and to be courteous like he's supposed to do, the scripture says that, that he, with haste, he ran. I mean, he, he wanted, he was such urgent to see this man call Jesus. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. It ought not to bother you for Jesus Christ to interrupt your life. And say, well, I'll tell you something, I'm having a bad, time, bad day. That don't matter. If Jesus interrupts your day, it's a good day. And you say, well, I, got, I, 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 I can't come to church because we got married three weeks ago and we're still on our honeymoon. It's time you got off your honeymoon get back to church. It's just amazing to me the, the, the silly Silly excuses. People who claim to love Jesus give. They're out of church more than in church, and they talk more about God than anybody. Listen, if you're really in love with Jesus and he's your friend, you won't mind him interrupting your life. Mm. And then look at verse number two. Look in his humility. Look at his humility. Verse number two. When he got there, he bowed himself toward the ground. Wow. First of all, he's doing everything that he's not supposed to do. He's doing everything a sheep don't do. 
He's doing everything a rich man don't do. He's doing everything opposite to what a man in his position would do. So look what he does. The Bible says that he bowed himself to the ground. Now, he had hundreds of servants who worked for him. Imagine what they thought as they looked out their tent doors or maybe out there under a rock, ledge somewhere in the shade, and they see their master on his face laying in front of Jesus. Oh, unashamed, this hundred-year-old man was of Jesus. Unashamed was he of Jesus. You see, you, you can't get through Genesis without understanding worship. You say, what does worship mean? It means saying, no, it don't. It means giving. No, it don't. It includes giving. It includes singing. It says praying. It includes praying. That's not what worship is. Look what the Bible says. He got on his face. Let me tell you, the word that's used right there is the word prostrate himself. Now, don't get the words mixed up, okay? I know everybody always giggles when I get to that point. But just understand, to prostrate oneself means to lay on your face in the dirt before Jesus Christ. A sheik, the richest man in the area. Mm, Our church time ought to be with that kind of spirit. But we rush and we hurry to get there. You know, when I I start getting ready for church, about 5 o'clock Saturday night, that is Alabama or Tennessee playing, then I'm back and forth, you know, in a hurry, kind of looking back and forth. But I get out my shirt and I get out my suit and I get out my boots and I get out whatever I'm going to wear the next day so that I can put it on. I'm ready to go. I'm planning for the next day because I'm planning for worship. That's what I live for. And yet here we say, I didn't have time this morning. Why? Because you set up to midnight watching Netflix, which was probably X-rated when you should have been in the bed sleeping, thinking about worshiping God tomorrow. I'm getting mean again. But folks, listen to me. We need to have some church to where people come to church where we're willing to run to Jesus, where we're willing to run to Jesus and get on our face before Jesus because we know who he is and we know how little we are. And we see him in his Humility. How can you not bow when you stand before him? How can you sit un- how can people sit unmoved in our church each week when here comes Jesus walking down our aisles? How can they sit here week after week? Week after week, you say, well, you've had some that decided not to sell you. That's right, fine. They didn't have courage enough to tell me why, but they just left. 
You see, some folks don't understand this matter. Worship's not about them. It's about Jesus. But one more thing. I got, I got to hurry. Um, if our church every Sunday morning would come and we walk through those doors, there ought not to be a gossiping word said. In fact, we're going to have a Sunday in the near future, no gossip Sunday. And we're going to post guards in the halls. I'm serious. I'm, I'm serious as a heart attack. So y'all vote me out. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to put them in the hall. And one negative word, we're going to ask you to shut your mouth and get out of our doors. We don't need that mess. Take it somewhere else, but we don't want it here. Now, if you want to talk about what we just heard on the word, you know, I don't quite understand it. Would you help me explain that? Well, that usher probably take you to somebody, help you understand that. We'd be glad to do that. Or you say, you know, I should have got saved, David. I didn't. Would you, could somebody help me? You know, they'd be glad to help you get saved. We ought to come today and say, game's on. <laughs> game's on. We're ready. Now, look at, look at, the, look at the next one. In, in his hospitality, Abraham took these men to his best shade tree. This was the air-conditioned tree. Right? Best shade tree. Don't you? These, these big old oak trees that get about that. I got one in my yard. It's about that big. Can't hardly reach around it. It's huge. And, you know, squirrels just make my dog so mad because that thing's so big you can't catch it when they go around, you know. And, and, and in the summertime when it's hot, there's it, just something special about sitting under, sitting under your favorite old tree, isn't it? When I was growing up as a boy, we had a poplar tree. Oh, I lived on old Rocky Hillside and, we had a poplar tree, and I didn't have nobody much to play with when I was real little. And so I'd go down to that poplar tree, and Mama wasn't looking. It was about, you know, a quarter of a mile down the road there. And uh, she could see, but she couldn't see real good. And it was a poplar tree is almost like climbing with steps. You just got one limb here, one limb here, and you can just go way, way, way up. And I'd get up there in that poplar tree. And I'd think, man, I'm king of this old knobby hill up here. And, you know, you get them old poplar balls off, and you could throw them at people. It was so fun, especially if you hit them. You know, really good. But it, it was something that, that, that was a special tree. I, when I was pastoring Alabama, we, we lived right beside a cotton, cotton field. Right in our front yard, we had two great big trees. And Angie was uh, not, uh, I think she was in about the second or third grade, something like that. And uh, Angie's always been kind of athletic and agile and kind of crazy sometimes about things. And, and we couldn't find her anywhere. And uh, we went out and I said, I start screaming for her and where's she at? And, and she said, I'm up here. And I look in the top. I'm talking about a squirrel couldn't have sat on that limb without it breaking. She's up there. I said, you better get yourself down here now. I, and so I'm going in here because I know she's going to fall. Ain't no way them little bit limbs is going to hold her. And she climbed to the very tip top of that tree and down. From then on, I just said, forget it. And I just let her climb it. 
let her climb it. So the peacock across the road cut her face. We was all good, you know. But hospitality is now what we use. He took him to his best tree, air-conditioned tree. In our day, you wouldn't invite Jesus to your house and say, you know, no, we're going to save a little electricity today, so we're going to turn it up to about 80 in the house. Would you? Would you do that? That's about the way we live our Christian life. Yeah, he, today we're going to save a little of our life for ourselves. The Bible says if he that loses his life shall find it, not he that saveth his life. Am I making any sense? And so he rushed in and he'd, he said, fire up the oven. If that had been today, she'd said, do it yourself. That's right. I'm telling you the truth. Or she'd run down to... Uh, Publix got something down there. But look what it says. She, she doesn't do that. She doesn't complain, you know, because their tent was in order. We know that because of 1 Peter 3. But this time in their life, their tent was in order. He was head of the home. She knew her place as the wife in the home. And they all together was helping Jesus with their very best hospitality. Look. Look, they, he, she, he said, go make some homemade bread and cake. So, so he goes out and does, he does his part too. He makes his bread and cake and she doesn't complain. He doesn't complain. They're not murmuring. They're not panicking. They just get to cook it. Did you know that? That was probably an all-day deal, go all, at least an all-afternoon deal. We take off 30 minutes. Oh, got to go. This was a long day. And so they're getting the meal all... Oh, we went ready for Jesus. No wonder she submitted to a man like Abraham. No wonder the Bible said that she called Abraham Lord. You look it up, 1 Peter 3, 7, see if it don't say it. You see, somewhere they got this little spat between them fixed. And now... Things is different in the Abrahamic family. But you turn on a football game today and wait for Sarah to get it ready. See what happens. Every believer that's a friend of God should be at his disposal at all times for hospitality. Jesus, whatever you need me to do, to make your life blessed in this world, I'm ready to do. Hmm. So when Jesus referred to the 12 as being Lazarus, our friend, Lazarus, our friend, it meant more than just saying one of our good buddies down the road. It meant here's a guy. Here's a guy that died for us. Here's a guy that would get our backs no matter what. Here's a guy we can trust. That's who Lazarus was. And Jesus was a friend of Lazarus.